Hello, welcome to Scuttlebutt. The Scuttlebutt stops here. I'm Nick. Or does it keep going? I, I don't I think know. I was trying to make fun of the O'Reilly factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually have a list of like eight of them, of eight awful uh, Yeah, I think lines. it stops and starts here. Starts it's like we're the alpha and the omega. Of the I just want to be the Scuttlebutt. Yeah. You know, my goal... After, uh, you know, right before we achieve world peace through podcasting <sighs> is... Uh, so we're on the cusp. <laughs> we are on the cusp. <laughs> no, we're still around because there's always going to be Marines. There will always be Scuttlebutt. Once a Marine, always yeah. a Marine. And scuttlebutt. There scuttlebutt. There's always yeah. going to be a Scuttlebutt. Uh, but the goal right before we achieve world peace through podcasting, of course, is to be the premier Scuttlebutt on the internet. Um, very and quite literally. And for all of those tuning in, you're a massive part of that. So thank you. Thank you. Um, but today we have our first uh, non-veteran guest. Yeah, this is going to be uh, this is going to be a fun one, I think. Um, yeah, our first non-military member on the show, um, and quite an esteemed guest at that. Yes. So the guest in question is an actor who has played vets a handful of times—five, six, seven times. I didn't count them all up on his IMDb page. And he goes way back with our good pal Vic here. It's the only way we can book those guests right now. <laughs> we're not the only, <laughs> we're not the premier scuttlebutt just yet. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's a long line, but, you know, we pulled him out of the, out of the crowd, yeah. right? So, but because Vic and our guest go a little ways back, he was able to nab him. And you may know this guest from such films as 12 Strong, uh, which is why we nabbed him. Right. Uh, which is based off of the book Horse Soldiers, which takes place immediately following 9-11 as we were trying to get military personnel into Afghanistan uh, to start our response. Yes. Um, have you read the book 12, uh, 12 Strong, uh, Horse Soldiers? Yes, yeah, so th it's, a, uh, it's a nonfiction book, um, and like, like you're saying, it takes place uh, in the aftermath of 9-11 as we were trying to figure out how to respond to the attacks um, on the World Trade Center. Um, and, yeah, so, oh, and the guest in question is Jeff Stoltz. Um, and as you mentioned, he's uh, been an actor, uh, celebrity extraordinaire for quite some time, has done a few things um he played a uh thunderbirds pilot in the movie um she's out of your league obviously he uh plays a special forces operator uh in 12 strong he was uh one of the hotshot firefighters in the only, movie only the brave only the brave um he uh played a former or he played a Staff sergeant in the Army uh, who was reassigned to a National Guard unit in a, um, in a comedy uh, a sitcom called Enlisted. Uh, he played a former Ranger uh, experiencing PTSD in the show The Finder. Um, so, yeah, we thought it would be really cool uh, not only to get some celebrity chops, on the show, but to have someone who's not a military member but has occupied that headspace, um, and just to get some of his feedback and experiences, having um, been exposed in uh, intimately with the military, but not actually having worn the uniform himself. And so, I thought this was a fun interview. I don't know what you guys think. It was a great interview. Highlight for me 
is the part where he was talking about the advisors. Yeah. On uh, I can't which one he started on was enlisted probably, and how uh, he kind of picked up on what they were telling him was good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, after that, he just gained a whole new respect for him. But I don't want to speak too much about that. Yeah, and then just for our listeners, um, yeah, Jeff presents himself as he always does, uh, just uh, Jeff in life, but uh, in this interview, uh, extremely – well, not extremely, but it's very candid. Um, in some, some respects, it's refreshing. Uh, but in some respects, it could be a, like, a little jarring as most – and I think, Nick, you mentioned it before we started recording is, is that oftentimes – when speaking to celebrities or people in the public view, there's a there's a veneer, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a persona that they are trying to um, present, and it's very filtered, uh, and it's very rehearsed, and it's very, um, uh, I guess, uh, orchestrated, almost performative. You're not going to get that from Jeff. <laughs> like no. one thing about Jeff is there's nothing performative about yeah. it, um, and so just enjoy the candor. The unfilteredness and, and just really sort of the, I mean, the salt of the earth, um, yeah, uh, the way that Jeff sort of talks about things in a very real, unfiltered way. So have you guys seen the movie, 12 Strokes? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, it, we talk about it a little bit in there. I felt like, you know, going to the technical advisor aspect of it, there was, I thought it, there was a lot of really great um presentations of military i thought technically it was done very well even the use in the weapons handling the weapons employment yeah. i thought yeah and jeff mentions it too like yeah of course when you have chris hemsworth there's gonna be him riding the, shirtless the on money the, shot <laughs> yeah, yeah. shirtless on the back of a horse you know with a yeah. with a you know and that would be my biggest complaint with the movie is there are some of these. I think there's like three or four of these like glory Hollywood money shots. Yeah. Um, that kind of. But you don't have that kind of meat and not show it, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you gotta, so you gotta do a little bit. And when you so a lot of the reviews for it, if you're looking at the reviews, talk about they're very mixed. Some of them are love it. Those people probably also read the book and or whatever. And then there's the people who just think it's like a jingoistic mess of a mm-hmm, movie. Mm-hmm. And um, I can kind of see where they're coming from just based off of those like four shots yeah. of like American military splendor and slow motion yeah, yeah. Um, in action. But, but like everything in there, from what I could tell, the veracity of it is accurate. So, but that's a, yeah, that's the thing. It's a yeah. real event, and I yeah. think that one of the reasons, also one of the reasons I wanted to have them on is to present this in a public forum that this is a real thing like this yeah. really happened these are pe- these are guys who felt heard the call and responded and did what it took to make it happen and yeah it seems like american exceptionalism on the surface but it really did happen these guys really did mm-hmm. go in and really did all make it out any other thoughts on anything related to jeff uh, no, I just again have fun with this. This is uh, this was a, a really sort of um, yeah a gloves off sort of interview. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, guys. Well, Vic went to town with Jeff for quite a while. So sit back, strap in, and enjoy. We'll catch you on the flip. Bye. So welcome to another episode of Scuttlebutt. I am. More than honored and so happy 
uh, to be here with Jeff Stoltz, actor extraordinaire, life coach. Um, <laughs> yeah, call me up. I'll make all the good decisions. Yeah. The scourge of uh, NFL Europe, uh, Prague, or uh, was it? Che- where, where, where was that? Czechoslovakia? <laughs> the uh, close to Nyberg mercenaries outside of Vienna. Yeah. Real, real big time stuff, bro. Yeah, man. I mean, th- this guy is, uh, he's walked the earth, man. He is a, he's salt of the earth. He's walked it. So, a uh, good friend of mine. Jeff Stoltz, and man, thank you so much for being on the show. It's so great. Um, you know, as we were talking in the pre-show, uh, it's been a long time, dude, since we've uh, gotten together. So I'm just going to keep doing more podcasts so I can just keep getting you <laughs> on the show. And we can at least maintain communication this yeah, way. That's so. a good idea. <laughs> nothing, nothing productive will be said on that podcast. Yeah, man. Well, you know, thanks to the pandemic, like the only adult interactions I get is through this podcast. So uh, more of a reason to have it is just so I can talk to other adults, but to also to reconnect with some of my really close friends. So thanks again, dude, so much for being on the show. I'm proud of you, man. This is awesome. Yeah, thank you. Well, um, so, I mean, I don't know where to begin. Uh, I don't want to go too far back. Um, but yeah, Jeff, you have been i mean you started kai remember what was it 1998 you and your brother said hey we're moving to hollywood yeah and in a classic vic moment i'm like i don't know if that's such a good idea dude. <laughs> you were right you were right. i should have listened to you I what are you talking about while you were looking while you were looking for an apartment a what was it a soap opera agent stops because you guys were like like Vista Cantina or some shit. It was called uh, it's called Red Rock, right on something. You've been you've been there many yeah, times. Yeah, Red Rock. Oh yeah. You yeah. guys are just grabbing a bite, looking for an apartment. She stops in traffic and is like, "Here's my card." And then like, it wasn't for me. She passed. She like elbowed me out of the way to hand it to George. <laughs> she wanted nothing to do with me. I just kept showing up. George was like, "I don't know. I'm good looking. I don't know. Uh, what am I supposed to do? Are you buying me a drink? We can talk." Yeah, exactly. Um, so I mean, we I mean, and then from there it was like it was what Seventh Heaven, then. Um, well, I mean, yeah. just tell us a little about yourself, man. Yeah, I mean that really is a true story. Um, I can't take credit for it because I wasn't there. George was actually there by himself. It was a Saturday afternoon. Remember, at that point, I was still really trying to get picked up by a team in Europe. I, my plan was to go to law school. The only law school I would have probably gotten into was Whittier because they would have let me in with like shittier grades because they owed me one. Um, so I, I was, uh, was going to take the year off and try to get go play in, in Europe um, just because I just wanted that experience. And George was planning on finishing school and then joining the military. Um, yeah, that's right, but, man. We were going talking to SEAL recruiters and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But remember, he had to, because he transferred, he still, when we walked the day you got commissioned and I got a diploma, well, you, you obviously got one too, but George didn't. It was empty because yeah, he still yeah, yeah. take, um, I think he had to take, I think Arabs and Muslims might have been the last class. He needed more credits. So we had to take that summer school session. So while he was still in LA that summer, because if you remember, we had the lease on that house through like August 1st, I think. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So he, he stayed there. <clears throat> um, and then that he was having lunch 
in Hollywood with our girlfriend, Sarah. Um, and that's really how it happened. So he got the card. And then I came back in town and he was like doing laundry because oh, I forgot to tell you this woman. And I'm like, you know, meanwhile, for the last four years, I was like showing up, freaking dancing and trying to trying to do modeling bullshit just because I wanted to try to get in the industry. And I had no idea how. And dummy ass George is just sitting there eating a burger and got uh, got an agent. So that's really how it started. Um, she started representing him. I would go with him to his auditions. I'd kind of show up. I'd call. I'd do what they call crash them. Um, and this is after a year. You were in. You were playing uh, playing ball in Europe for a year, and yeah, then you came home, yeah. right? Yeah. So, uh, in that interim, well, we got the apartment, and a couple months later, I went to Europe. Came back that that following June, uh, June or July, I guess, and then uh, and then I was like, well, I'm going to give this a shot. Give this acting thing a shot. I didn't really have any other plans at that point. The, the Europe thing kind of derailed law school. Also, I realized I didn't really have any skills uh, and I wasn't smart and couldn't read. So I'm like, I better, uh, I better make this acting thing work. Now, we, we really we really thought it'd be like, we'd do this for a couple of years for fun and then go get real jobs. And then one thing led to another and it's like that, that thing I talked about, like you get, I, I, I really do believe that luck has a huge part of the, many businesses but this one being at the right place at the right time and being prepared now you have to create your own luck in a certain uh, to a certain degree you really do but you have to be and you have to be prepared when these opportunities come up and not suck but um really that's what it was i just had some opportunities and i, I had some opportunities i booked a couple of shows and it was just enough in the beginning to like keep me coming back so and then the next thing you know you turn around and you're like and i thought maybe i'd try to go back to europe um and i realized that was you know that was that was going to go nowhere other than having fun i couldn't really pursue a career as an actor and be gone for eight months a year in europe making you know like 25 bucks a week <laughs> playing football um but uh yeah and and that's really how it started the first the first real job was Everybody Loves Raymond, and that was a small little one-time right. thing. And then little job, little job, guest star here, co-star here, and then Seventh Heaven was the first long-term thing. And then, at, um, yeah, and then randomly they were looking to cast a love interest for the other sister, the girl that um, Beverly Mitchell, who plays Jessica, played Jessica Beale's sister. And she was like, just got a brother. And that's how they ended up writing George in. Um, and then it was, then I left that show because I booked my own show. So I was like, I don't need you guys. And then that show didn't get picked up. And I tried to go back to Seventh Heaven. And they were like, we don't need you. Uh, like, oh, another great, great choice by me. Yeah, uh, I, I just kept, kept rolling little by little. You know, it is. And then the next thing you know, it's like, it's 20 plus years in. You were over saving the world and I was ruining it. Yeah, whatever. I think I think I single-handedly extended the war at least five more years. So I think we're we're both in the same boat in, in that regard, man. Well, um, we'll get into some of your work, especially as it pertains uh, to the military, um, and then obviously with everything uh, going on in Afghanistan, you know, you've got a uh, an interesting perspective on that. But um. Growing up, like we talked about George's interest in the military. Uh, obviously, you were you were a part, a huge part of my 
earliest sessions uh, into the Marine Corps. Like, so what were like growing up? I mean, Colorado is known as a you know very patriotic state. Uh, you're right outside of uh, Air Force Academy. Yeah. So, um, you know, so what were your, some of your perceptions of the military growing up? You know, I, I, I don't know if you even know this, but my first choice as a sophomore, junior, I was really trying to get into the Air Force Academy. I was trying to get my, uh, you have to get nominations, congressional nominations. And I, I think I think they were like, hey, you're almost good enough. You can go to the Merchant Marine Academy. <laughs> and I was like, but I want to fly stuff. And I also... And I would have done the prep school and all that. And I, and I did really have that acting bug in me that I wanted to pursue. So I knew if I went to the military for five years uh, or to school and then served afterwards, I would have never done this. I probably should have done that. But um, yeah, so growing up in Colorado Springs, we've got Fountain Fort Carson, which is that huge army base. Then there's Peterson Air Force Base and then the Air Force Academy. So there's a large military presence. You know, and you know, my daddy's running around with the uh, flags so we're, we're all patriotic all the time my dad the guy that if he sees anybody in a uniform in a restaurant he buys their meals and like he thinks that anybody that's ever worn a uniform is like they're on d-day and my dad like that kid's he, he's it's, it's 2021 that kid is 19 he wasn't in world war ii <laughs> the military has always been something that i've been fascinated with particularly because of my interest in the air force academy i, I wanted to play football there it's such a great environment um yeah i think i would have well 44 year old jeff who's gotten away with you know being an actor for the last 25 years i would i'm sure i would my mentality would struggle being told what to do all day every day um but the reality is is all of us are getting told what to do all day every day just comes in different ways my life the girlfriend runs my life um but I, I, that is something I always wanted to do. And my brother was fascinated, really wanted to join the, the SEALs. And, and you know what? I, I joke a lot. I really do wish that George would have done that. George is a, uh, like the most productive and happy I think he's, is, is when, he, like when he was wrestling or when he's in college and he knows he's got a schedule. Some people are not self-motivators and they need, need like structure. And George is a person like that. Now, when he's working, He's so much better off than when he's not. Think about it like when we were in school, I always got better grades during football season because you didn't have time to screw around. You had practice and getting work done. And then as soon as we were, as soon as the season was over, it was all like, nah, I got time for that. You procrastinate, you just don't do anything. And then, so uh, I, I think structure is good for people. And I know I'm tangenting like crazy, but so as a, as a dude that tried to, make a jump and get into the entertainment industry. There was a, opportunities to play military people on television and film. And that's where I felt like, all right, I, I didn't actually go join the military and do anything good for the country, but maybe I can at least portray the men and women in uniform correctly to the best of our ability, um, and then try to contribute that way just in a general overall morale or, or just the perception of the military. Now, granted, I did that the first thing I really did in a long-term capacity was that goofy Fox show called uh, Enlisted. It was kind of about the, the rear D, about the three brothers in the military. But I think the slogan was something like, we're actually soldiers. Or <laughs> so it was, uh, I forget that the log line was, we think we're soldiers. The National uh, Guard unit, right? Wasn't the story around the National Guard unit? Yeah, we were like, so my character was supposed to be a, kind of a, a hardened, tough guy 
but he uh, and he was overseas. I think he was in Afghanistan, and he knocked out his commanding officer. And so then they just demoted him and sent him back to the rear D to run in the platoon with his fuck up brothers. Um, it was fun, uh, and I, you know, it was interesting. I was we were all worried a little bit that we were gonna get some flack because it was really important to us to not make. Um, take a situation like, you know, like anything, like being in a locker room or you, I mean, you know more than me, you, you were um, on the ground with troops for 20 plus years. But even in the most tense situations, there's got there's levity, maybe even more when the, the more crazy it is, the more you have to like make things. You got to loosen up somehow. Or you're just going to turn your hair's going to turn gray. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I don't know who you're referencing. So, no, I mean, uh, nobody. I was just say that definitely comes through in your work. I mean, and I thought it was really interesting. And, and, and by the way, dude, this show is all about tangents. So like tangent away, man. Um, so, okay. but the thing I thought was really interesting is you mentioned the Air Force Academy. Because I, I really feel like your portrayals of soldiers, airmen, sailors, Marines um, has been really genuine. And, you know, I think even back to a comedy that you did, um, she's uh, out of your league, right? You played a, a pilot for the Thunderbirds, right? That was my probably my first example, and you got to now. As I've learned, you know, pilots are a little different. They're they're a little different breed. They probably think they're all cooler than they really are. They're like actors, man. We're like we're, we're prima donnas. When I went out um, and embarked out on the, uh, I believe it was the USS Ronald Reagan, and we went out and stayed for a couple nights, and we watched them do night sorties, night takeoffs and landings out there. When the pilots were on on the deck, like the rest of the crewmen were like they treated those guys like they were the, the rock stars, and I'm sure that's the way that like you know the special forces people got get treated in certain places. But uh, I was like, oh yeah, I like this. I want to I want to be one of these guys. I want to be one. Of they, I feel like they're eating better. Um, well, you get eight, you have mandatory eight hours of sleep, so that's always fun. Yeah, that's great. Like you know, who can do that? Nobody can do that. Nobody does that though. On on she's out of my. I remember the first thing. So my character's name was Footlong, which is the greatest character name I'll ever have. And, and that's the first example of why Hollywood lies, because it's not even close to a foot. <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate it. The best thing that's ever happened to me in my life was at the premiere. I'm walking. It was in Vegas, and I brought my girlfriend at the time there. And then we were walking through Vegas, and somebody in the lobby of a, one of the hotels was like, yo, Footlong. And I was like, Yeah. Uh, the guy that was the actual pilot that did the flying for me and that brought down the Thunderbird, his call sign was T-Bag. And I was like, is that what I think it is? And he was like, yeah, yeah. And like he wants, and he like wants to show you how, like, no, I understand how a T-Bag works, man. I, I, you don't have to, I get it. I get it. You have to demonstrate. I, but I didn't really realize that you could get away with that kind of stuff, uh, you know, maybe Maybe 20 years ago you could, but uh, you know, it sounds like uh, the, the world is changing. Some ways good, some ways bad. Yeah, but to, to go back to kind of the portrayal of things, I've always been very aware of how things are perceived and to try to be as, even though like something like She's on My League is a broad comedy, obviously, you still try to, you don't want to do anything, certainly, that portrays uh, people in the military in a in a negative way, and because of that, we've all I've always been lucky to have really good advisor. We talked about I know there was a chance there was a, some talking about that at some point that maybe that would be some somewhere you might end up going. 
when we did Enlisted, we had some guys, and and to be honest with you, I was really annoyed a lot with them because we were trying to do a comedy. We're trying to do a comedy about the military, and we they'd get the scripts and they'd sign off on them, and we'd get there and we'd block a scene, and then they'd be like, "Oh, sorry, you can't do it like that." Well, because he couldn't be standing on this side of him because he's lower range or higher, whatever. So, and I'm like, "Well, what the fucking a? We're just it's a joke. Like it's like we're skip through the day here." Or they're like, you know. Messing with you about your hair, and it's a, it's a comedy on Fox. Nobody cares about these stupid things. And then, and I used to butt heads with them. And then, the more I did, and the more after I started watching them and started listening, hearing feedback from people, I started to appreciate that them more and more. Even though it created annoyance in your day as an actor, like you're doing, I'm looking at like the business side of it. All that really matters doesn't matter how miserable our days were or how great they were. Doesn't matter unless people watch that damn screen and we get ratings. That's what it really comes down to. Because if there's no ratings, there's no advertising. If there's no advertising, your show gets canceled. Um, so I, I'd be like, ah, God, those things just don't matter. But when it came to we started reading the blogs and started hearing from people, my direct messages, people talking about how what a good job we did. Then I was like, okay, I res respected those guys a lot more. And then I ended up doing another job. It was just a pilot that didn't go, and that same team was on there. And they didn't hear me complain one time on that one because I knew that they were looking out for us. And then when you go do a show like 12 Strong, that wasn't a comedy anymore. We're like, you know, we're dropped in what would was supposed to be the mountains of Afghanistan, and we're trying to portray those guys of uh, horse soldiers that's when having good military advisors means everything because, you know, at that point, too, it wasn't that long ago. Those guys are still alive. They came, were playing real people. They were on set. It's important to portray American military people in a good way because those movies get seen across the world, you know, and like, and we're, we've got a, uh, I think we've got a, public image problem with uh, America in general right now in the world. We really leaned on the guys that had been there before, the guys that had done it. As a matter, one of the guys that was in the movie, he didn't have that many lines. He was the 12th dude in our, our squad or our, our platoon. His name is Kenny Sheard. He's a former Navy SEAL sniper. <clears throat> and he, he was a stunt guy, but they hired him to play an actor. And he was so good, even though we were playing Rangers, he been boots on the ground in Afghanistan. He was in Iraq. And because he was kind of one of us, when we would block the scene, the advisors would be like, do this, this, and this. We'd all kind of go, Kenny, and Kenny would go, eh, I wouldn't do it like that. It, that he, he was kind of the guy that we all, and it got to a point actually where the director would, would call Kenny on the weekends and they'd go out and talk through big battle scenes and things to just for authenticity. Um, because like anything else, there's politics involved. It was produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. Bruckheimer's got a guy that he's been doing war movies with for 40 years. The guy's name is Harry, but here, and Harry was the Navy SEAL, but he was a Navy SEAL in Vietnam. Things change. Um, so, you know, protocols and things and just the way things operate. So there was some stuff that we were like, even I, as a guy that didn't know what the hell I'm talking about, I'm like, are you sure? That doesn't feel right. I'm gonna bring this up only because it's really timely. Another thing that's really important, um, and this is just a sad, couldn't this terrible all around, and that the, the shooting of the poor director of photography in, uh, in that Western and in, in New Mexico, um, you know, mistakes like that should never ever happen. 
But even on our movie, blanks, people forget to take them out of your gun. You're walking around. It's a, it's fun. It's jovial. Like, you know, you're dicking around because in your mind, it's a fake gun. It's a fake movie. And then people forget. And then blanks go off. I had one of the actors was joking around. He should never do this. And he pointed the gun for a picture at my at my dick. Oh. And then he got yelled at by the, it was after they cleared all the guns. And he was like, ah, and he got yelled at for doing it. And he was like, what? It's not loaded. Pressed, pulled the trigger, and it went off. I would have lost what little a foot long I had left. Um, <laughs> when, when it comes to, to, to portraying men and women uh, in the military, number one, we have the luxury of research. Obviously, enlisted was fake. But, you know, we, it was based on the idea of, of a rear D, uh, you know, a rear detachment unit um, of maybe not the most hardened soldiers in the world, but really still very necessary to the actual mechanism of the, the army. But we, we really have to lean on the people that know more about these things. And for us, it's obviously the writers and the producers have to go through and they have to make an effort to be realistic and authentic. But then once it comes to us, you know, you got you put your own little stamp on things, but obviously leaning on people uh, that know what the hell they're talking about is is what keeps us from looking like total assholes. But I, I think I think there's a lot to be said though for that level of authenticity. So, like you said, like and I think it's an interesting progression. You know, going from you know she's all that to enlisted, then to twelve strong, where you know you really get a chance to like sort of cut your teeth on what you're talking about, like the the tactics techniques and procedures that are evolving like you said i mean something i mean even if i now were to go back and try to advise someone on how things work in a counterinsurgency sort of environment um you know like when i was training um with the emiratis in um, the uae it's like i still had to like refresh like all the time because like you said like it evolves just like uh, like in football like you know running a you know running a slant route it's probably tried and true, but the way the defenses play against things and the way the offense is set into that formation, it's just not, you just can't run a pro set every down. And right. so the same thing. So you got a chance to really sort of see that evolution. I think that's really interesting. And you got a chance to really sort of cut your teeth with that authenticity. And I think that, that by the time you got to 12 strong, I think you really did have a uh, a, a really uh, a firm sense of like how that authenticity is going to also affect the bottom line. Yeah, so that's really cool. And so let's talk a little bit about Twelve Strong. Um, it's based on a book, and you know, I think the book is called Horse Soldiers. Um, for those yeah. who aren't aware of the story, I mean, if you haven't seen Twelve Strong, like I, not just because Jeff is a close friend, but like. Dude, it's such a good movie. It's so great. I actually, I think I even, when I was watching it, I texted you when you were shooting your 203, just like, dude, how awesome was that, man? Like, what are you guys using for your blanks? Because you guys really did do a great job of like, hey, just something as simple as like shooting a grenade from a 203. Like, you guys did it the right way. And so for, so for those who aren't aware of the movie, um, the story is like right after 9-11, Obviously, we had to respond in Afghanistan being a landlocked country. We had to find a way to get people in. And the neighboring countries, we aren't all that friendly with Pakistan and, and China. So these guys had to figure out how they were going to get into Afghanistan. And so they were able to infiltrate through the northern part, 
via horseback. And that's sort of where the story picks up. And so what were some of your experiences with the story before um, you came on set? You know, I, I knew of the story. I read the, the original script before I read the book. The book is incredibly detailed. It reads more like a manual than it does like, a, you know, a piece of literature. So it's, it's hard to get through. You just kind of knew of I mean, everybody that was old enough knows the feeling where, where they were at on when they woke up on 9-11, kind of what happened after that. I remember you were already, where were you on 9-11? I was, um, I was in uh, at Camp Pendleton and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. we right. had just finished PT and someone, one of the sergeants came in and said, hey, somebody just flew an airplane into the, one of the World Trade Center towers. And, you know, again, another Vic moment. I'm like, thinking it was like a private airplane, like what an yeah. idiot. Right. And then next thing I know is like, everybody get into the common room. And then, so we had this TV, we're all uh, at the barracks and we all went in there. And by the time I got in there, I saw the second uh, plane hit the tower, hit the second tower. Um, and then it was just like, get to the armory because you know, where we are at Camp Pendleton was right along the five freeway. Right. And I mean, we had like snipers on top of the buildings you know, we're right outside of um, San Onofre uh, nuclear power plant. Oh, yeah. So right. they sent they sent a, a group of um, light armor reconnaissance, you know, I think a platoon or a company up there to guard it. I mean, it was gnarly, dude. It was it was super scary. Um, Wait, didn't we fly home to my parents and then dude, you like the and then you got a text saying you're going to war? You had to turn around and get get a flight. We don't you remember? That? Um, no, that was it was after. Uh, so, uh, we, I went home with you and then they said it was, uh, actually it was 03. It was before going to Iraq. Oh, okay. Okay. And, uh, yeah, we were just chilling out and I got a text from my OIC and I was like, I gotta go, uh, cause I'm going to Iraq. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember like you went, we went to the airport and they were like, uh, good luck. I'm like, he's like, yeah. let's go to fucking war. Yeah, yeah, they're like, it's yeah, you can, you can leave. Ass. It's gonna cost you like two thousand dollars. Like, what the hell? I know. Just to go back to that, I, you know, I, I, I knew how it, I felt on nine eleven. I was just a Joe schmo. As a matter of fact, we on nine ten, I was George and I, Will, maybe I can't remember if there was a fourth, but we were we stayed with Stewart at, up in Washington. We went to the Michigan, was playing Washington. Yeah. Uh, yes. And, and so I. Came back from that weekend, landed, and uh, were you there? No, because I had just come back from Vietnam, so I couldn't take like any more leave. I was in Vietnam for like two and a half weeks. That's right. That was a good time. But um, I just remember Will playing catch in the parking lot and running into a trash can. That's like, that's my memory of the whole trip. <laughs> so many stories about that, dude. Yeah, he, he ended up in the trash can somehow, thinking he was a great athlete. So... Yeah, I mean, so I, I knew how I felt. I knew what it would be like. I can only imagine. And there was, and there was a, you know, there was a bit of a scene about that in in uh, Twelve Strong, where we're all kind of get called in the common area, and we're seeing the planes hit the hit the buildings, and knowing it's like we're knowing we're going after it. And then, but you know, and then part of the story of, of horse soldiers is that there was multiple teams over there vying for that opportunity, and like who's going to get, you know, and these. And the, the sense of patriotism, patriotism that we all felt. It was like the last time, I think, in, a, in, a, in a, maybe forever in American history that people were actually like, you know, 
uh, had one common goal in mind and we were like decent to one another that that went away pretty quickly um but so so then i you know i knew that story i knew how that felt and you start to we the general public didn't really know about this until a little bit later but we knew at some point people were going going over there and then seeing a little little stories of obviously there were other teams and other people that went in and did some incredibly heroic things this one you know like you know somebody wrote a book about this one uh there was a there's another kind of pretty famous book i forget the name of it about people that came in from from a different area yeah so i I knew about this story and it was just something that i was really excited about and i really wanted to be in this movie and wanted to play those those characters so i it was like a two-year process of me chasing this job and like i had to have meetings with bruckheimer and get signed off on and I went and did only the Brave because I knew it was the same producing team that was going to do 12 Strong. And I wanted to, anyway, I was really, really wanted to play this character and then uh, got that opportunity and I was so thrilled. I got to ride horses, shoot guns, and chew tobacco for four months. It was a freaking fantastic dream. Where did you guys film that? Was that in Arizona? or did you... uh, We shot it all in New Mexico, actually. There was a lot of talk about maybe going to Morocco, but we ended up, turns out, if you go south of uh, Albuquerque, White Sands, Alamogordo, uh, it looks those those mountains there really look a lot like uh, like the Afghanistan the, the topography over there. Yep. So, um, in part for sure. Yeah, so it was a it was a beautiful. It'll probably go down as one of my favorite jobs I've I've ever had. It was a bunch of really cool people doing something they were proud of that doesn't always happen portraying people that i was happy to be portraying what what a, what a great opportunity and and it turned out well and I, it was one of the cool things too is when we we got to meet some of the guys that, that came to set but then when we did the premiere did that in new york and more of the t- the actual team was there i got to meet the guy who i portrayed uh it was it was just and these guys were so happy the stories being told, it was great, man. I'm, I'm so so proud of that movie. I had such a blast doing it. And those are the ones that you you get you get into acting to meet really uh, beautiful women and to get to play cool uh, cool roles like that. Well, dude, I was so proud of you for get for having gotten that role. I was so happy for you because I knew you were gonna love it. And it, like you said, it's such a cool story. I mean, it's just there's so much there's so much to that one. Along those same lines, you mentioned like, hey, a lot of people were doing a lot of, of this kind of cool stuff. You know, just somebody happened to write a book about this one. And, and we're going to have a few other guests on the show that are going to look at this same the same time period from different angles and people who were who were part of hopefully were part of uh, hopefully we'll get them on the people that were part of some of these other teams because there was a lot of going of, of going on. I think there was just like you said, like the nation had really just sort of rallied around this idea that like. This can't just this can't go unanswered, um, and I think a lot of people wanted to be yeah. um, on on the tip of the sphere for that one. But one of the things I want to take a step back a little bit and start talking a little bit about storytelling. Um, so, you, like you said, you mentioned you know they wrote a book about this one, and so from your perspective, being a storyteller and someone that occupies the shoes. You know, what is that like then you're occupying the shoes now you're for something like this, you have to occupy the headspace. Like, so what is that like? Because like you said, it's not like in um, She's All That or or She's Out of Your League 
or um, enlisted. These are like real people who did like real things. Um, and you mentioned too, like you have always have had like sort of a, a good relationship with your advisors. So what was it like then to be occupying a headspace as someone who did these sorts of things, who is still alive and like almost to the point where like your every step matters now? So it's interesting when you're, you, when, you're when you're playing somebody who exists like that, you, there's, a, there's a certain gravity to that because you're like, you know, the last thing you want is somebody to be like, guy's fucking terrible uh, like or you did that wrong or or you know you don't want to, especially in these kind of situations where people were living and dying as an example um that movie only the brave both of these movies have different names and got changed by the way the, the reason that horse soldiers was originally based on the book it was called horse soldiers and the reason they changed it to 12 strong is because there's an old john wayne movie that's yep. 60 years old Called horse soldiers, and they were like, "No, you can't have that name." Like, Come on. Um, so, uh, so that the estate went after that, and they changed the name. But I did only the brave um, the summer before, uh, and that is an incredible story about the nineteen men that died in a, a fire outside of Phoenix, Arizona. Um, They're hot shots uh, and wildland firefighters. For people that don't know what that is. And that was unique because we were doing that movie four years. Yeah, really on the heels of the incident, right? Yeah. So, and in order for the production team to get the rights to do this, they had to get the families of these people to sign off on it. The 20 people involved, the 19 men that died and the one one that survived, they had, they had to get their families. So those families were then given the opportunity if they wanted to come visit the set and see it. Now, it's three years later. Oh, I'm going to back up. And not only did they do that, but they actually hired one of the guys that was on that crew, but was on vacation, I believe, or his wife was having a baby, so he wasn't there. So his, he, he's one of the coolest guys I, I ever met, man, random bunch. His best friend took his space on that crew while yeah. he was going to, to, for the birth of his kid and then passed away. So they they offered him the job to play his best friend in the movie. Then they had two other guys that used to be on that crew that were kind of the advisors. Well, think about it from the perspective of the families. That's one thing because they kind of came and went and met people. But this guy ran a bunch, his best friend and... 18 other dudes that he's pretty tight with real tight with and worked on those fire crews for a while for a few seasons he they're all they've all passed away in a fire three years later he is seeing those same images of those dudes played by other guys same outfits same fucking names on their helmets we referred to each other as our characters names for three months no that's got to be a mind man for that and I, I, I just didn't know how healthy I thought that was. I felt it had to be. A, so not only that, he's playing, he's seeing the, the faces and names uh, and hearing the names of, of his dead friends played by other people. But he also had developed relationship with, relationships with all of us separate. Like, you know, you're, for three months, it's almost a bit of a, a glamorized uh, boot camp where you're like, you're rolling for three months, you're rolling around in the dirt, you're hiking, you're cutting line. 
but on the you know on our days off on our weekends everybody's you get some leave you go get hammered and hang out with your buddies it, it was a weird dynamic so then the, the, my point on this is the parents and families of these these men if they wanted were given the opportunity to come visit and meet us i was fucked up man they'd come to set there was 20 of them 19 of them so it was like one a week maybe sometimes two a week throughout the summer that would be there and you'd walk into the the lunch trailer and you'd look over and you'd be like well that's obvious that's those people so there'd be one of the characters one of the actors sitting at a table talking to the families of these people and they're like so they're looking across the table at somebody that looks pretty damn similar to their fallen husband or mother or, or, or brother or father or son or whatever it, it was weird so my my character's name uh, on that his name was travis turbyfill his wife ended up not coming at the last second and i totally respected that but his mom did and it was weird man and we went out i took her out to, we I met her at lunch we hung out then i took her out afterwards um you know it, it she she hugged me and said I haven't felt so close to my son since he died and like I'm like I wasn't I wasn't him man I was just, I'm playing him uh, in this movie and I still talk to her occasionally but I, I th- that that had to be an exceptionally difficult thing for for these people to go through so in regards to that it was so important that you tried to even though in that movie screen time for everybody was wasn't equal so some of these these you know this was a smaller role but. Uh, it was important to all of us to take what we did as seriously as it, and control everything that we could control to the best of our ability. Because these are these are people that three years ago died, and there are people that are watching. They're going to see this. They're they're coming to set. They can see it in, in theaters. So yeah, that, that that was one of the heaviest ones for me. Like this is important. Like you know, every once in a while, or most of the time, yeah, as an actor, you're like, whatever, man, I'm not carrying cancer here. I'm just trying to get, get make people give a laugh. If I can give somebody 30 minutes of uh, enjoyment in their day or whatever it is, I guess maybe I did my job. But every once in a while, you're like, all right, it's, uh, maybe it's just a little bit, it's definitely bigger than me. It's more, more important than just trying to get a job and keep my mortgage paid. I mean, that was one of the toughest ones for me, just being a part of that and knowing every day, like, eh, the dude that I'm portraying, Loved this job. He did it to pay, to, to feed his wife and kids, and uh, and he passed away doing it. And it's important for me to at least, at the very least, do do my best to portray him the way that it would you know do his family proud. I guess in Horse Soldiers, none of the men on that mission died on that mission. Some of them, a few of them, died later in uh, in combat uh, in different operations. So a couple of the guys that were portrayed in Horse Soldiers were, are no longer alive, but they, it wasn't on that mission. So that was one of the few things. Like we that that movie was interesting because it was like it was like an old western. Like there was all kinds of Al Qaeda and Taliban going down, but no Americans died on it. So that that was actually one of the criticisms of it from you know like the armchair quarterback critics. Like oh, this is just American sensationalism. Like well, read the fucking book, man. It's what yeah. happened. Yeah. Yes. It was a fictional story that happens to have Americans in it, but it ain't fiction. I know. I mean, there was probably there was a scene or two of like handsome fucking Chris Hemsworth riding down the hill on the horse, like, like looking beautiful, coming through the smoke. 
like when you talk to the real guys, they're like, you want to shoot a freaking 203 over the top of a horse's head? Yeah, get off the horse and shoot, man. Like, <laughs> or ride away. It's like, so, but you know, there was a couple scenes where I'm like, God damn, that's sexy. Uh, <laughs> even I was like, I get it. I get it. He's handsome. We could just get his shirt off. That'd be great. That's right. Yeah. You ain't going to have a guy like, you're not going to have the cast that you guys had, either yourself included, without some sexy ass scenes, man. I mean, this is how it yeah. goes. Yeah, get some sexy in there, man. It's uh, sex sells, bro. Um, but I think it's what you're talking about is important. Um, one of the things we try to capture on the show as well is this idea of like every story matters. Um, and I, I really like what you were saying about like, hey, even though there might not be the same like amount of screen time or, you know, the focus maybe isn't necessarily on this, we still need to treat these stories with the type of respect that they deserve because they matter. Stories matter. And, you know, a lot of times, especially, you know, like from where we're at, you know, 99% of the less than 1% that have served and go in the country and stand post and walk their, their you know, go on patrol and face the threat of IEDs and, you know, help out, you know, little kids who need water or food or, you know, all the things that the military does within the, the scope of, of its operations over this long war. It's not necessarily like book worthy or it's not necessarily like not everybody was a Medal of Honor winner. Not everybody was the commanding general of some, you know, badass task force. But all of the things that people did mattered, like standing post and making sure that like, hey, you can sleep well because I'm up here. I'm not going to fall asleep. I'm going to man my machine gun. And if something happens, I'm going to shoot someone to keep you alive. Like all these things matter. These stories matter. So I really appreciate you taking that like. Hey, this is going not only is this to be authentic because I want to do a good job for my profession, but because it matters for people outside of myself. And I think, um, in a in a small way, like you're helping the military sort of capture the totality of the narrative of what the military does when they deploy, or even when they don't deploy. Um, as you said, like Rear D, yes, it was a comedy, but that's a real thing. Like people are at these National Guard posts, these reserve centers, and they're doing their thing to serve the military, to be part of that machine. Um, and it matters. So anyways, that's sort of, I guess... Maybe not the most sexy post, but you guys can't do your job without them. It's just, it, it really does matter. Yeah, and, and, and I think... I think it's stuck in a lot of lost. shit under the jobs, but it's part of... It, 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 does, it does matter. Yeah, I think the significance gets lost because you go to Barnes and Noble. I don't do people even go to Barnes and Noble, but you go to a bookstore uh, or you go online to order a book. You know, all of the books are basically badass one and badass two, and you know, uh, but everybody has a story that matters. And so, anyways, uh, I just want to say, I guess my end of my soapbox, man. I appreciate you taking that and 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 sort of capturing not just the story that people are telling, but their points of view, occupying their headspace for us so we can all get an opportunity to uh, really appreciate what it is that people in uniform do uh, sort of on a daily basis or in times of crises. So um, last thing I want to talk about this before we move on to another subject is some of your, as we were talking about storytelling, just some of your thoughts on like stories of the past, and how, and then like this idea of capturing all of the stories that matter 
uh, and how that pertains to us understanding our own. So do you feel a sense that like, hey, I'm doing this movie, even something like Cowboy Bebop, there are bigger themes here that maybe somebody who, or like, uh, you know, with with 12 Strong, I may, may not have served in the military, but I do understand what it is to respond to crisis. Do you feel like there's something that transcends in the medium of acting and theater where people, you, you make this stuff accessible? Yeah. I I mean, that's the, I mean, that, that, that's such a broad theme, but you could talk about like, even going back to doing something as silly as Seventh Heaven, which was just, a, I mean, call it what it is. It's a real, real cheesy, family friendly, cheesy, cheesy show. But what was interesting about that show, especially particularly for George, um, for those of you who don't know, my, my brother George and I played brothers on a show called Seventh Heaven Family Show back in the day. But he stayed on it for seven years, and I, I he did 200 episodes, 150 episodes. I did 20 episodes. But because he was on it, it kind of always gave me a storyline to walk back in. But because that show aired so much, and it was the kind of, and it was on for so long, it was on for 11 years, um, there were so many people that grew up on that show. And even still to this day, it blows my mind. And all, when, when I'm traveling, I'm with my friends, I'm, you know, I, the last time I was on that show was it's been off the air for 15 years or something like that. Yeah, so dude, I think we, I think you invited me to the teen choice awards to come with you guys and you guys got your surfboards. Oh yeah. 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 That was, <laughs> dude, that had to have been like 2002 or three, right? It was, it was. So anyway, I, I joke about that because the amount of times especially when it was at the height of its popularity, like George and I'd be traveling and people would be like, oh my God, Doug, you gotta, you gotta meet my daughter. Or, and I'm like, all right. And like, and, and he's like, she's very attractive, man, but she is um, 15. Uh, what are you doing? Like, oh my God. Like my guys, I just want to be clear about something. I don't write it. I just show up and say the lines. I'm not actually this really sweet guy that uh from named ben kinkirk i'm a nice guy but uh I, i'm not that dude but the, they would like these these lines would uh, get blurred when you go into it's very similar i would say to a soap opera where and and then i don't think they're as big as they once were but for years and years these soap operas were on five days a week they're on during the day so stay at home people stay at home in particular mothers would like when they're doing laundry or like you know hanging out with the kids whatever the kids are napping they're watching soap operas and they have a they develop a familiarity and a comfort with these characters because you're in their fucking home in their when they're in their nightgowns when they're like so there's there's this weird false sense of reality that happens so they really think they know you and really think they know you know them there's a familiarity so when you do these projects you know some of them are jobs and some of them whatever but that almost every one of them may mean something to somebody who's watching and never know what that is Uh, like a show like seventh heaven because it was on for so long it blows people's mind even still today when people when i'm traveling or i'm and i'm with friends or, or my girlfriend and people will be like oh my god that's 
you're, you're a guy from 710. I'm like, it was like 18 years ago was the last time I was on that. I, don't, I mean, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm like, a, I'm like I've been road hard and put up wet. I used to be a handsome kid there. Um, and, but, but it was like, it was an important show to their childhood because they associated, it was one of the only shows that people could watch with their parents. You know, parents could watch with their kids because it was like family friendly. Um, during the evening time, yeah. Yeah, people have a, a, they associate a relationship with me or the actors based on the feeling they had at the time. You know, what's that saying? People don't necessarily remember what you said to them, but they remember how you made them feel uh, or how you treated them. They remember the feeling. Um, so like, so for instance, I may or may not have accidentally went to a, uh, been forced um, to go to a, um, a club where people happen, there's a, a pole and people dance on that situation. <laughs> uh, it was for the buffet. Um, and this girl came up to me, uh, one, one of the uh, uh, lovely performers, she came up, she goes, hey, can I ask you a question? Were you on 7th Heaven? And I was like, oh God, I really feel awkward right now because of the time and place. She's like, oh, I used to watch that with my parents, my and my, my dad in particular, and it just brings me back. It's such a it's such a good memory for me and a good uh, spot in my life. And I'm like, clearly, uh, but I, but so that people associate these shows or these movies with the time and place, uh, uh, and some of them have such nostalgia about them. You're a part of their. F- the fabric of their lives and maybe the if they watch it um i, I remember my my ex-girlfriend stacy used to say uh my favorite show in the world is the golden girls because i watched that with my now deceased uh, grandmother so she associates all the good feelings she has with her grandmother with that damn show because that was one thing they could do together so it's very similar so you know I, like anything sometimes this job like every job can be monotonous and lame and you're like but we have we're very i'm very lucky to, to have this job i know that um uh, and especially when you can make people feel feel better or maybe you know in those situations it is weird i don't think i totally answered your question but that kind of is what came to my mind it's weird how these lines blur and things situations like that come up a lot like you know then, then there's that and then there's like what the hell's the name of the movie with the breakup with Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston, where I played video games and Vince Vaughn, it's kind of being a um, pretty iconic scene because he's so funny. And people is like the, the amount of people, mostly dudes that watch that movie, like on repeat in college and they know every word from it. And they associate that with like, Oh my God, that's all time. And like, and that makes them happy. So I see that when people come up and talk to me and like, you know, they want to high five. They want to talk about that, 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 this shit. I'm like that. I like that. That means something. Yeah, but yeah, then there's oh, that your nose. Sorry, um, everyone stepped on his nose. Every once in a while, you're like, "All right, that's enough." But I'm glad I'm uh, glad you and your buddies, your drunk buddies, had a good time watching the breakup. But uh, yeah, I'm a meeting dinner guy. Beat it. Uh, but yeah, that, the the line blurring the um, that that's an interesting thing. When when you can, it is nice to know that you can, you know maybe give some somebody somewhere a little bit of a make their day a little bit brighter that's cheesy but it's kind of true no i think there's something to that but what about like so you know especially as it pertains like 12 strong and um 
only the brave. So you're playing these stories of like events that actually happen, right? Like, um, and and I think we we had touched on this a little bit, but like, where does that level of um, immersion, like, when does that transcend? Transcend like that kind of storytelling, like that idea that like, hey, these guys might be exceptional, and this crisis is obviously exceptional. But there's something about that there that does tap into the overall human experience, don't you think? Yeah, think about that. Like, especially circumstances like that where these guys might be exceptional at what they do in that one aspect of their lives and their job. But they could just, and a lot of the rest of their lives, they could just be ordinary people, right? Like, because when it comes down to it, when they get out of the service and they're like walking around, they're still going to Costco. They're still at Walmart shopping. Um, well, there's always the option not to go. Right, like that's true. Yeah, that's totally true. That that's a big one. So when you when you get to you know, play with those themes a little bit um, and, and think about an exceptional circumstance, you, you said it. There's people that do things that are essential to. We'll stick with the military to the to the the mechanism that keeps the military running. That may not necessarily get a book written about them. Uh, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to be, they're not going to get a movie made about them. So the, the the themes of playing people and playing circumstances and trying to harness what you're doing. You're also trying to be an actor. You're trying to give a performance that's authentic. But you're also trying to like, you know, you're trying to be good. And and then the other thing that comes into play is you're like, I hope this job gets me another job. So like, yeah. let's, let's, let's not suck. No, absolutely, and that and that that's a good transition. Um, I know we've uh, taken up a bunch of your time, man. I really appreciate it. But just one last thing I want to sort of talk about is that that idea of transition. We've talked about, we've alluded to it throughout, but obviously in your profession, transition is a very real aspect because even on awesome jobs, they're eventually going to end. And I think there's a lot of parallels with the military because no matter how awesome your day may be or your year may be or this tour may be the tour is going to end the day is going to come to a close your career is going to come to an end like even a four-star general one day is going to have the next day he's going to be out of uniform that day is coming right and so what is that like for you like has there ever what what does transition look like for you i know for our listeners who are in the military it looks a certain way is it similar or a hundred percent no it's interesting you bring that up so do you know who Jay Glazer is? Jay Glazer is the Fox Sports commentator, the ball guy. He he started an organization with another young man uh, named Nate Boyer. Nate was an interesting dude. He he was one of the guys that joined military after uh, after 9/11. He was in he was in special forces. Um, he finally finished his tours, came back, and at 31 decided he wanted to play college football so he walked on at texas made the team as a long snapper and then actually ended up being on the roster for seattle for a minute before they uh before they cut him but he was he's on the field in a, in a uniform as a, as a professional football player but they saw a lot of parallels between the similarities of the transition you're talking about of athletes and men and women in the military and how you do this it's your whole life woven into the fabric of your DNA, your life, your, your social life, your work life. And then all of a sudden you retire 
or you're forced into retirement, athletes, you just don't get a job, that tour is over, they say, for whatever reason, you, you decide to, to get out of the military, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, man, what's next? Um, and the answer, so I'll back up real quick. Uh, there are super, tons of parallels too. So for me, doesn't, and I, I talk to, to George about this all the time, because naturally, my personality is like, go, 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 grind. What's the next thing? There are some people that aren't like that. George isn't isn't like that. That's not his, it doesn't come naturally to him. So even if he gets a great job and he shoots something, that's going to end. And it's going to end in three weeks or three years, whatever it is. And then it's about finding the next one. And that as an actor, we, I transition all the time. Like I've got two shows, one on the air right now on uh, the, the Dark comedy with Kate Beckinsale on Paramount Plus. Tune in streaming right now. Uh, and, oh, we're and gonna give you some. We're gonna get you some press, man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> hell yeah, big time. And then uh, and then Cowboy Bebop. But I shot both those things during COVID. I got back this summer, um, and I haven't worked since. And you're like, I don't know. There is no guarantee that I'm gonna work again. And that is scary as shit. But to go back to um, MVP. So Nate and Jay started this organization, Merging Vets and Players, and they started it out of the gym that I worked out at in LA called Unbreakable, the Jay started. Um, if you ever watch uh, Fox NFL football on Sunday, Jay is the short, bald, white guy that's like the, he's like the behind the scenes. He's the one that breaks all the news. He's a wonderful, generous, great guy. Um, and he, he saw a lot of mental health issues he saw a lot of people struggling and he just decided i've got this space let's just do something and it's continued to grow i actually have been a part of it since the beginning and then and i really recommend people um, that are listening to your podcast to check into it they're growing chapters across the country i don't know if they're in dc yet um, but i just flew down to dallas last week for the kickoff party for their dallas chapter that opened up um, but it's an it's an incredible thing to watch you just don't think about it because when you're in it, it's everything. And you think about like, yeah, I know I'm going to retire someday, but hey, I got it. It's forever away. It's like forever. It's like, or I'm, this is going to, this is all good. Or, I, or when this tour is over, I'm just going to get another one. And I know you guys just get different assignments and different posts and some are going to be better than others. Some are going to be better for you and your family than others, but you're, so it's a constant transition and it's dealing learning how to deal with that transition. So uh, it's been a unique experience for me to watch and listen because I'm not, an, uh, not, as I say at the meetings, I'm not an athlete or a, uh, or a veteran, but I've played both <laughs> on TV <laughs> and they're like, fuck you. Um, uh, but so I get to watch these guys and listen to some of their struggles, man, and listen to like, you know, the day you walk out that door and you get your papers, you're on your own. I mean, I, athletes and, 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 uh, and veterans, prop, the similarities are super, the parallels are crazy. Like, hey, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll invite you back for like the reunion for homecoming thing once a year. But once you walk out that locker room, you're, they took your key card away, you're done. Once you... Once you leave that base and you're no longer active, like you're not showing back up there for three meals uh, uh, the next day. So this, your sense of self, your sense of 
stability, all those things are taken away and the transition is is heavy, man. And especially for people like you, uh, the veterans that you like, there's a difference between being in, in the military your whole life in that structure, but then doing things like you do, going downrange, transitioning off of that to something else. You're constantly, so the I, I transition all the time from job to job and opportunity, but none of those things are like life-threatening for the most part. Um, I mean, obviously there's mistakes that can happen every once in a while, but um, you guys put your lives on the line all the time. You've got that level of stress and level of, of heightened, heightened stakes. And then all of a sudden, like we talked about joking about, all of a sudden you're just the dude's, Picking in, in in the carpool, like taking kids to school, and you're like, "What the f- is going on?" Three months ago, I was like staring down the barrel, um, or or constantly worried about IEDs, and now you're like looking up for potholes and and like just filling up your day. The transition is crazy. So um, it's been fun for me to be a part of that, a, a unique perspective to be a part of watching, to be a part of MVP, and to watch these guys, men and women, by the way. Um, and it's grown and it's and it's incredible. But yeah, as as an actor, it's something you have to deal with. And I think that's one of the reasons that you're always hearing about actors being fuck ups, being drunks, and being drug addicts. And because when you're when you're starting, when you and I've had small levels of success and small peaks and, and certainly valleys, and I've had tastes of like, oh man, this it's all going to be great, and I'm going to be rich and famous, and then that movie just does not work, and then you're like, well, now I have no job, and I'm kind of starting from scratch again. People that don't weather as actors, people that don't weather that, a lot of people become nutbags and they lose their minds because they achieve fame, they achieve some sort of um, some success. And you're only as good as your last movie or your last thing. And then if the next thing doesn't work or you can't get a job again for a little while, whatever, for whatever reason, because you're not the flavor of the month anymore, that's when people struggle because your identity has become attached to your success or lack of success. Um, and I can only imagine that in, in, in for veterans, people getting out, it is it's so easy when you're doing a job, a, a movie or a television show, to just get in that routine. And I know that I'm showing up to work. I'm gonna have going to the mess hall. No, we've the catering. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna somebody's cooking for me. I know that I've got a job. I know I've got an income. Um, I know I've got this weird sense of it's got to be the same thing for you guys. You get stationed with different people, and they be, you see that more in your families, obviously. So there's this weird sense of family, and then all of a sudden, like you're on a new post or your your tour is up, and you're you're gone, and you're with a new family. Like I gotta start this whole thing over again. So it's the same thing as as an actor or an athlete being going from team to team or opera or or, or uh, veterans, obviously with uh, tour to tour. The only difference is your guys' lives are on the line, and that is a huge difference. Yeah. That is a huge difference. We're all being told what to do and what time you show up. Nobody's shooting at me. Yeah, well, you know, and, and it's not always like that. Yeah, like, sure, for sure. And I think what you're talking about, though, I think is really profound is that there is this sense that, like, yeah, the, the alligators closest to the boat are consuming my time right now. I don't really have a chance to really think longer term. And then once it happens, you're like, shit, I got to start all over. And, oh, by the way, at least for the military, and I'm, I'm sure it's Hollywood similar, my reputation is following me. Yeah, for sure. So I'm starting a new family, like you said, but there's some baggage. <laughs> yeah. 
or not, or maybe there's expectations, and now I'm have to I'm, I now have to rise to this expectation that for fair or not could be unrealistic. And so, yeah, I think that's fascinating. And we'll talk a little bit more about this MVP because I think that's a, a it sounds like a really great um, opportunity and really a great sort of uh, place for people to. Yo, I'm gonna uh, call him when we get off the line and see if there's anything happening in DC and maybe you should start something there, man. Maybe you should, uh, or, or, or be a part of it, you know, and, uh, you can zoom into any meeting at any chapter, anytime. So people don't have to physically be there. Um, but I, I it really, I've been really impressed with this organization. Just again, I'm, I'm kind of looking from the outside in cause I'm, but I'm not really, because I, I go there and I do the do the workouts with them, and then I I do you know I, I just don't often talk because I'm you know what I'm gonna be like well I didn't get this audition I had today, and then when somebody's like you know not two of my brothers committed suicide, I'm like yeah but you don't understand man I was up for this job and I didn't get it. <laughs> like, oh, man, shut up. <laughs> uh, yeah, check check up to your listeners. Um, MVP Merging Vets and Players. Um, it started in Los Angeles. And it's really, it's a, it's a great, uh, their, their Instagram is, uh, I think it's just MVP. Uh, well, we'll find it. We'll put it in the show notes for sure. Um, oh, I would get, uh, I'll get Jay on here to Jay or Nate on here to talk with you too. Um, oh. uh, again, for those of you guys who listen, it's, it's, um, merging vets and players is the name of the Instagram page. Uh, you know, you go there. I've worked out there. I've gotten my ass kicked by Randy Couture uh, and Chuck Liddell. Like you know, you do like you go there. The the, the what they believe in is um, camaraderie, being a part of something, um, and having you know people having having your back. Um, that that when you retire or like you you might you know people just again people get dispersed. So there's a lot of like. Where are where are these people that I counted on for for so long? They're gone. They're somewhere else in the world, and now you're kind of walking the earth solo. Um, so they they're trying to bring that sense of camaraderie um, and fellowship back together. But they also believe in um, movement, man, like getting together and moving and like getting getting a sweat, working out. So that part of part of their mandate, kind of what they do, is work out and talk. It's not like the you know workout and just talk things through, talk about experience and um and, and it's amazing. You got like Rob Gronk, Rob Rob Gronk, how do you say his damn name? Rob Gronkowski coming to these things, um, even though he's not retired yet. But he's you know, he's in town working out and he you know, he comes and so these guys are working out with people that you know you, you like somebody in somebody in the military might not think you have anything in common with with these dudes, but you just do, you just do. Cause everybody, you, know, you, you, can, you never know what people are going through. And like, you think that somebody's um, rich and famous and they got everything together. One thing that Jay says all the time that I love is that you got to check in on your friends that are the strong ones, the ones that you don't think need help. And like, mm-hmm. you think you could check the ones that seem like they got all their shit together all the time. Those people are probably, you know, they could be potentially quietly suffering the most because they're like, you know, they're afraid to seem weak um, or afraid, afraid to seem like they need help. Um, so I don't even know how to f- I tangent onto this, but it, well, it's, well, been, it's, been, it's been such a, um, I love it. I'm, I'm proud of these guys and I, I like, I like being a part of it and experiencing as an example, I was at this meeting in, in Dallas last week and there's a girl who I was, 
I happened to be there at the her very first meeting, and now, and she was just just gotten out of rehab, and she wouldn't talk to anybody, and her head was down, and now she's one of the higher ups in the organization, and she spoke. This is five years ago, I guess. And I and I and then she started working at the gym and finished, went back to college and finished in uh, uh, Northridge, I believe Pepperdine or Northridge, one, or maybe both. Uh, anyway, she's done in five years. She's gone from squalor to she's balling and she's beautiful and cool. And she told her story to a group of people that um, 200 people that she didn't know. She grew up in a cult um, in Nebraska. She has seven, eight brothers and sisters. Seven of the eight of them were molested by her father. Um, she went into the military. She started using heroin. She got kicked out. She went back. Like, I, I didn't even know any of this shit. I've just been around her forever. And the and I could just, and I, I was with her right before she went on stage to talk. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm so, I didn't know she was about to say all this. And I was like, I'm, I got to tell you, I'm so proud of you. Because I, I was there the first day that you showed up five years ago and you wouldn't make eye contact with people. You wouldn't talk to anybody. And now you're running this thing. And, um, you know, and she just says, listen, sometimes it's as simple as just knowing you can go somewhere and count on people to have your back. Um, and like, I don't think they're, they're not like rewriting history here, man. They're not doing, there's, there's no like psycho analysis. There's no, there's no genius. They're just, kind of group of people that are like, yeah, dude, I need some friends and I need to know that uh, I can count on somebody. I can pick up the phone if I'm struggling, if I'm feeling dark, if I'm feeling like maybe I want to take my own life. And that's all, and it's, it's a, and that's all they, they do. And they just talk, you know, they just talk. And, and the parallels between all these people that are transitioning, it's scary, man. Transition is, can be good as we all know, but it's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Funny, life, security, all that. Um, so we, as, as an actor, I can only look at it from, from my world is I, I think, to be honest with you, man, I think I've weathered this storm of the, the ups and downs better than a lot of my peers because I was an athlete, because I had moments of success and moments of incredible failures almost daily, you know, yeah. like think almost about the same play, right? Yeah. Yeah. Think about like. You know, just in practice, you know, you're getting great at every practice, great at every game. And you, um, and some days you're like, you know, it's like you said, some days that slant route's working and other days they all suck. Well, uh, dude, I still remember when you made that fucking spectacular catch in practice and then the next second you landed on your shoulder and you're out. Yeah, that's right, bro. That's dude, right. That's gnarly. Um, I mean, that's, that's a great Best example. Best thing I've ever done. And then, you know, and then something that stays with me for the rest of my life. Uh, yeah, it, it's crazy how that works. And I mean, so we're, we're just constantly as human beings, like, you know, I mean, we're just trying to evolve. We're trying to like do that. Everybody's trying to do the best they can um, and more than ever, I think, because of in social media and 24 hour news cycle and everything is politicized and everybody's an asshole and everybody's wrong. Like, who the hell's right of like? Or who the hell's wrong if everybody's right? Um, so what, there, there's a level of stress that people are under more now. FOMO, people were like, you know, nobody is as cool or as pretty or as happy as they look on their social media page. We all know that's bullshit. Um, but people 
I mean, it's, 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 it's screwing with people's minds and people are on edge more than ever. And people are the, the ones that are willing to say, man, I need help. Those are the ones that are going to end up being better off. And the people that are not um, are silently struggling. And like, you know, I think as men or, or, you know, in macho fields, let's call it military veterans, athletes, people People are like, no, I'm not supposed to ask for help because I'm supposed to be a tough guy or I'm supposed to be a, t- a tough woman. Maybe maybe even harder potentially for a female in the military because you're in a man's world doing a man's job um, historically. So like, I'm sure they feel like, the women feel like, man, I can't ever show weakness or I'm just going to get, you know, I'm just going to perpetuate the stereotype that we can't do things. But the older I get, man, the more I realize and some of our conversations we've had, your experiences and some of your, the demons that you've dealt with after just after serving, like the, the older I get, the more I realize we are all fucked up, man. There's just nobody that's getting out of this. It's just, that's just it. And we're all carrying shit from our parents. And we're, there's so much, you know, no matter how great, here, here's something that was pretty interesting. I, uh, you know, the comic Bill Burr? Yeah, totally. Uh, I, I went and saw him on uh, Thursday night in Long Beach. And he, he had this bit about, he grew up in a pretty rough household. I mean, he talks about it in his comedy a little bit. And his dad was, um, I don't know if he was, you know, I don't, well, I, don't, I think his dad was fairly, well, I don't know if abusive is the right word, but fairly aggressive. Heavy-handed. Yeah, we'll call it heavy-handed. And he, and he, he, was, he talks about, like, how he knew that, you know, no matter what he did, he was going to make sure that he didn't pass that along to his kids and he wasn't going to be a up father like like his dad and then he realized like you know one day he's he, he's never he never yells at his kids or he certainly according to him he doesn't yell and he's certainly not heavy-handed but he's like he's got his own anger and something happened and he was pissed off and he's swearing and throwing shit around and and then he just looks in the corner and he sees his two and a half year old daughter like standing there crying like dad dad why are you crying and he's like oh my god i'm just like my fucking dad how i thought i was i thought i'm not um it's like we're, we're all Obviously, he did it in a funnier way, and it made it was a lot more eloquent. But it's funny how we're all just man. People are just really just trying to do the best they can. And um, and the, the older I get, the more I realize like nobody's got this thing figured out. Some people, some people look like they do. Some people, you know, maybe and there's certainly levels, but maybe maybe money helps a little bit because you can have nicer things or maybe be a little bit more comfortable. But everybody's hide the shit too, though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's that's true. It certainly does. Um, but yeah, man, it's like, you know, p- people are just, we're just, uh, we're just, everybody's just trying to make, make it through. And transitioning is a uh, part of, uh, and, and I can all imagine what it's like for you guys, um, especially if you're in as long as you were, where, I mean, that's the fabric. That's, did you do a full 20 or is it more? You did more, right? 20 in a couple months, man. But you know me, man. My foot was always sort of out the door. <laughs> I'm like, I got a straddle line. But yeah, no, I mean, it's not easy. It absolutely is not easy, no matter what, because, and I think what you're talking about is really profound is that idea like, you got to capture the passion. Um, and finding that community definitely helps you do that. Like, you can't be alone on an island. I mean, just like your story in, in the pre-show about being in New Zealand, like that was awesome, but you can't be there forever. I know, dude. <laughs> you know, you, logistically, know. it's not supportable, dude. Like you can't, 
at some point you got to go out and do something like you're going to have to figure it out and you're going to need to figure it out with other people. Um, so, I mean, that was a really good analogy, really good metaphor. Like you can't just stay on the island as beautiful as it is. Like you're going to run out of food or you're going to run out of support at some point. Um, do you ever listen to um, uh, uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History? Mm-mm. It's a podcast called Hardcore History, and he really tackles a lot of him, him historical, like, you know, the fall of Rome, um, the, the whole World War II and the Pacific, their incredible road trip uh, podcast. I listen to him when I'm driving long places. But it, it's really interesting when you look at the, and, and he's, a, and he's a, just a, like a ninja of, of history, and he, he's so well-read and so well-researched, um, and he really does, really, really takes time and, and effort to, uh, to do, to be accurate. But when, when he talks about like, when you like the Roman soldiers and how, and the, and the whole campaign to continually like, conquering and growing the empire, like you can only go and as far as your resources allow you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think it's really good for our listeners to hear some of this stuff um, because I think there is this natural tendency to only focus on, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. That's for but, sure, dude. You know, but dude, there's four tires on the on the on the cart or whatever, right? And so just because uh something isn't necessarily screaming for your attention doesn't mean that you don't need to reach out. And like you said, sometimes the ones that appear to have it most together are have this um this um perception that they are the strongest, they're tired of having to be that all the time. And so That's right. Um, yeah, I think it's really, I think that's an important point for us to sort of take home. Well, well, dude, to close on transitioning, where, where are you at right now? So we'd mentioned in the pre-show a little bit, so you got Cowboy Bebop coming out. Um, yep. that's on Amazon. Cowboy Bebop is on Netflix. It comes out November 14th or something on November 17th. I'd have to look it up. Super uh, so check out Cowboy Bebop on Netflix. Yeah. And then right now, um, I've got on Paramount Plus, the, the streaming network for CBS, same one uh, as uh, the most famous show on that platform right now is Yellowstone. Uh, okay. I've got a show that came out a week ago, I guess. Yeah, a week and a half ago. There's three episodes out. They did two the first night and now one a week called Guilty Party, uh, starring myself. Um, I should say starring Kate Beckinsale, and then I'm in it. <laughs> uh, she it, it's a it's a goofy dark comedy. Um, yeah, I thought I, really, I think I saw a, an ad for that. Yeah, it's uh it's really well done. I had a great time on that one. She's she's uh, as talented as they come and terrifyingly smart. Actually, like when when she comes in a room, I'm like, oh man, this sucks. She's <laughs> so much smart, smarter and better and funnier than me. Um, yeah, she's terrific. So and then you had, um, what was it? Uh, the Little Fires one, right? Yeah, Little Fire was, was on Hulu, and that's with Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington. That, so that's out airing. I mean, it's on – next time you fly on American, you can watch that on American. I'll, I'll take the three cents. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And then I've got quite a bit of um, production stuff I'm working on. As a matter of fact, we uh, – I've been chasing – I've got books and uh, – that I've optioned and life rights of people. We've got some really cool projects um, that we're kind of at the one yard line on. So we're, we're hoping. Um, and then randomly, uh, I believe 
in the next week or so, I'm meeting with uh, uh, David Goggins. You know, David Goggins is the uh, he's uh, he was a seal, and then I believe he was a ranger, or he did mate. He's and now he's an ultra marathon runner guy. He's oh. crazy. Yeah, yeah, like he just wants to. He just wants to do he's like shape. Bro, the guy like he he does on an assault bike. He does two hours at around eighty RPMs. I do two minutes at seventy, and I got to take a forty-five minute break. <laughs> it's crazy. The guy, he's a. Uh, He's definitely pushes the, the boundaries of what the human body's capable of. Um, interesting dude, man. Yeah, it's, it, his book is called uh, You Can't Hurt Me. Um, and it, I, I actually, it's one of the, the times I recommend doing the, um, the, the book on tape, the Audible, because they do an interesting thing. He kind of does a book on tape slash podcast because the the narrator of the book reads the art reads the chapters and then on his on the tape version of it they talk about it in between oh, cool. uh, so it makes it quite a bit longer obviously but it's uh it's pretty interesting to watch uh the way they they get things done that's a neat that's a neat idea yeah well dude i love seeing you man uh, yeah this is awesome dude i'll do i'll get on here and talk all day long about myself you know that <laughs> the perfect guest yeah that's right you don't have to ask me questions i'll just i'll go through a whole i'll do like a one-man show here <laughs> all right man well dude thank you again for taking the time on your i know your super busy schedule so yeah for everybody listening please check out cowboy bebop check out all of jeff's uh work that he's got going on right now check out mvp emerging vets yeah. and players yeah uh, Look up uh, MVP, Merging Vets and Players, Nate Boyer and Jay Glazer. Um, and if anybody uh, wants to get involved in that, you just uh, reach out to Vic and I'll connect. Uh, and, I, and I will do a little research. You can update your, your listeners on if uh, what the best way to get involved from. I believe, I don't know that there's a chapter there in D.C., in the D.C. area yet. Uh, but there are Marines all over the world, man, so... It's true. Um, give it zoom, zoom in all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, dude, again, thank you so much. This is awesome. I really appreciate it. And it's just it's great to see you, see you again, brother, and to sit down for a little bit. You too, brother. I miss you. Love you. All right. Take it easy. Love you too, brother. Scuttlebutt is a production of the Marine Corps Association. I am Nick Wilson. That is Major Vic Rubel, U.S. Marine Corps retired. We have also heard the voices of or contributions from William Truding or Nancy Lichman, editors of Gazette and Leatherneck Magazines, respectively. Opinions expressed in Scottlebutt are just that, opinions, and do not represent any official stance of the MCA.